Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome to yet another show of Lynn Cullen, still live, and it is May 21, 2020. Um, Speaking of 2020, I saw a quote from uh, a 102-year-old woman. (laughs) Uh, They they often say from the mouths of babes, right? Well, from the mouths of uh, centenarians and, uh, and then some. This poor woman, imagine what she's seen in her life, 102 years. It makes my mom look like young stuff. And her name is Dot, oh, probably Dorothy, right? Dot Costello. And she has lived her life in a mid-sized Midwestern town that is now in the news. Midland, Michigan. That is a town that is inundated by uh, extraordinary flooding, which has displaced tens of thousands of people in the town. Shut it down. And Dot Costello, along with other people who lives in her apartment building, were rousted out of their apartment building and uh, brought to a local school. Uh, for shelter. Now, <laughs> that's not something you would want to have happen to you in any, at any time, right? But imagine that when you are living now and you fear enclosed quarters with strangers and yet you have no other possible way to protect yourself. So Dot Costello, over 100 years old, is picked up, deposited in a high school gym, and given a cot. And uh, she slept on that cot. And her quote, which is in the paper, just <laughs> it says it all quote the 100 year old displaced amidst a pandemic woman i do not like 2020 and uh sort of channeling Dr. Seuss with, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like 2020, said Dot Costello. I read that and my my heart went out to her. I want to um, just note something that uh, I, I quietly note to myself on many occasions. Uh, and I suppose sometimes in a louder voice um, with you. But I think the the stock market is about as insane 
a system as ever created. <laughs> I think it's insanity. And it that everybody has signed on to it as the way we are going to somehow uh I don't know, decide what is of value, what has lost value, uh to have it as the um the way that an awful lot of the one percent, the richest among us, have gotten their money playing essentially a game. It's a gamble. It's like we agreed to establish a national casino and and give it the extraordinary power of, uh, you know, I don't know, being a barometer of our economic health. And people deposit their life savings into this casino. <laughs> they play this game that the professionals are playing at warp speed and with information only they have and access to, right? And the, But the thing that makes me crazy about the stock market is it's, it's the epitome of what has often been leveled at uh, women. It is emotional. It is constantly turning on a dime. Um, it 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 doesn't seem terribly uh, rational or or stable because it's not. It seems to run on whims and wishes and hopes and dreams and and. <laughs> It makes me insane. So in the course of all of this, Dot Costello's Icky 2020, I mean, I can't help but notice the stock market, like often, is really going up. Like yesterday, it went sky high. Why? Because it was reported that a vaccine maybe might, who knows, possibly, but somebody said, I heard a vaccine, something, blah, blah, blah. Up it goes. Today, more numbers of unemployed people. Down it goes. The economy itself has really not changed one whit in the last 24 hours, except for this like swooning that goes on on the market, and then this truly irrational exuberance at the slightest hint of maybe some good news. Good news, everybody, yay, we buy, bad news, everybody, and, and, and I'm watching this insanity of up and down and up 
and down. And this is the way we sort of run our economic system. No woman invented this. No irrational, emotional, maybe that time of month woman ever would dream up such a thing. This is insanity. I just want to say it is insanity. I pulled out of the market almost totally. Much to my family's dismay, much to everybody who, you know, because you can't. Well, how are you ever going to make, how you can't do that? My God, my God, think of it. You mean you haven't been in the market during all this increase? No, I haven't. You know what else? I've slept at night. I don't buy lottery tickets. I don't step foot in casinos. I don't understand how people get a rush from that. I don't. I think it's probably the same part of my personality that doesn't like, uh, you know, uh, riding on a uh, roller coaster. I don't. I like a sense of stability. And you're never going to have that. And then there's this thing. The rich who play the market are already rich. So I've said to some who I know have a lot of money, whoa, why are you? I guess I know you can stand to lose some, but why do you really need to make more? You got enough. You know, if somebody has a few million bucks, they got enough. But as soon as you got a few million bucks, apparently, man, you need a few million more and a few million after that, and you can't stop. It is bizarre. It's why the 1% can't stop screwing the rest of us, taking all the pie. It's a sickness. All right, that's my rant. And yes, I'm lucky enough that the money I now have, if tended rationally, should keep me in good stead till the end of my days, which could be sooner than... I want. Okay, that's something else I had to say. Here's another thing I have to say, and you'll forgive me for being so full of uh, opinions today. So uh, perhaps you've heard somewhere about how the uh, quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, Um, who had grown a large beard and a lot of hair uh, in the last year because he wasn't playing. And he, for some reason, said, I'm not cutting it until I can throw again. 
Well, he was seen throwing again uh, in the last week or so. And so apparently off he went to uh, a, a friend who's a barber. And uh, he had his beard and hair cut. And they had uh, all of this memorialized uh, because they had two photographers uh, videoing it. Okay. Big deal. I'm saying. Big deal. A guy had his hair cut. Problem is, uh, barber shops in Pennsylvania are not allowed to be open. Now. Now. Um, still. Big deal. But when the governor of the state was giving his uh, daily COVID-19 uh, briefing with the health sec secretary, one of the crack reporters in attendance, and when you think of all the questions that could be asked right now, when you're in a COVID-19, yeah, okay, he said, uh, I don't know, I'm assuming it's a he, he said, uh, Governor Wolf, are you aware that uh, Ben Roethlisberger got a haircut from a barber, and it sure looked like a barbershop. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that? Now, understand that that question is about nothing more than causing a stir. And because news is a commodity, it seemed like a good stir to cause. Anything having to do with football? Anything having to do with quarterbacks? For a football-starved community? Well, that's going to be good stuff. I'm sure the governor was just thrilled to get this question. He doesn't want a bad mouth, a beloved. Never mind, we forget about the fact that he used to rape girls. Uh, never mind. He's now beloved, the father of many, seems to have grown up. And we are now, because of the governor's response, which was as tepid as the governor generally is. Our governor is, um, is as snoozeworthy a speaker as ever. I mean, it's like, I cannot imagine what he looks like when he's excited or even angry. And he's been angry lately, and he looks pretty much the same as he does when he's happy. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. Governor Wolf muttered something like, well, I wouldn't do it, and I don't advise it. He didn't jump down Ben Roethlisberger's throat. He didn't say anything about the barber being open, as far as I uh, know. So it was this kind of, yeah, Wolfian, tepid response. I'm watching CNN yesterday afternoon, and the anchor says, coming up, Pennsylvania's governor is livid, that was the word, livid over Steeler, Steeler quarterback's haircut. 
more later. Now you see, here it is, the commodity. The reporter who asked the stupid question, trying to get out, knew what he was doing. This story has legs. Man, if you go, I, I can't imagine what the sports talk shows are like. If you go on Twitter, it's like, this is like, get wolf, get wolf. The barber was on CNN. The barber's attorney was on CNN. No action has been taken against the barber. The barber said, Ben's a friend of mine. I said, come on over to the shop. It's not even open, the shop, but, you know, come on in. It's where I got my stuff, and I'll do it for you. I mean, in general, no harm, no foul. This is what our media do, which makes me nuts. And the fact that so many people buy into it. In the Tribune Review today, uh, what's his name? Uh, he's a sports reporter, Benz, Tim Benz, is practically apoplectic. It's like he wants to impeach Wolf. How dare! I believe he says more than once in his piece. How dare he tell us how we feel, apparently Wolf, in his mild way, had said. You know, I don't think that people are going to feel safe going to, you know, a packed stadium sitting next to people they don't know. This is obviously about another question of will sports Will the Steelers play? Can we go to Heinz Field? And he said, I don't think people will feel. Now, it's true. A lot of people wouldn't. And then a bunch of others would say, yeah, what the heck? Throw caution to the winds, man. I got to be able to drink beer and wave my towel. And so, as far as I could tell, this Tim Benz's column today, a long, long column was all about how, and it's like spittle is even on the pages. His spittle, like, got published. It was, how dare, how dare the governor tell me how I feel? What gall? And, you know, you read this stuff and you think, is everyone losing their cotton-picking minds? <laughs> the governor said, I don't think people feel, and you're going to crucify him for that statement. I know we're all on edge. I want to say to CNN, our governor was not livid. If you show his response to anybody, the last adjective they would come up with to describe his response to Ben Roethlisberger getting an effing haircut, well, it ain't livid. It's milk toasty. Well... I personally wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. It was Wolf. So, these manufactured fights 
that distract us. I mean, and this is where journalism, lousy journalism, plays a a role in distraction, in entertainment, because distraction also is entertainment. It allows people to grab onto something that they feel is somehow something they can control, they can comprehend, they can understand. Everything can be brought down to just raw emotion. And all of this because Ben F. and Roethlisberger grew a beard. The amount of ink, the amount of hyperbolic verbiage that has ensued is so laughable. I just had to say it. And I know by even responding in any way, marking it, I have added to it, but it's made me insane. Speaking of sports figures, I saw a tweet by a guy I've always found to be uh, unlikable, but I think might have sort of a good heart, and I've gotten that sense before. And that is the owner of a uh, of a uh, major league uh, basketball team, and a Mount Lebanon resident, Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban, who is a brilliant entrepreneur, um, tweeted this. And I, I was, I found it mind blowing. He's really pissed off that these loans, these federal loans that were meant for small business owners, have been going to rich people like himself. Have not been going to whom the Congress intended. Certainly, the House intended, or let's be clear, the Democrats intended it to go to. And he says, you know, guys, I guess you apply through a bank uh, for these. He's been trying to educate people. Stop applying to these big banks. There are a lot of teeny little banks all over who have access to this money who would love to help another little person. So he tweeted this today. This is a gazillionaire. He says, if you are a minority or woman-owned or any company that believes you are eligible for a PPP loan but have not been approved, please post an overview of your status here, and I will do my best to connect you to a bank. There is still more than $100 billion left. Let's get that money. Now, that's interesting that this rich, rich guy is saying to others, without the, without the context, without the acumen, without the wherewithal uh, that, that he has, 
tell me your situation. Let me see if I can. And he does this on Twitter. Can you imagine how many people? So I looked at some of the people who have said to him, I'm this, I'm that, please, I'm, I, blah, 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 blah. And you know, they're writing back later and saying, thank you. Within 24 hours, he posted this yesterday. My God, thank you. Thank you. Isn't that something? And then there was more than enough despicable, this is Twitter, people saying, oh, yeah, and white men be damned. Yeah, and if white men, because the tweet says if you are a minority or woman-owned, that's all they saw. This jerk wants to, he's not saying anything about white guys. But in fact, he didn't discount white men. He said, if you are a minority or woman-owned or any company that believes you're eligible but haven't been approved, let me know. He didn't let anybody out. And yet people are so hair-trigger, willing to take immediate offense. Somebody sees only minority and woman, these white guys, and they go ballistic. Even though he did not exclude them, he just moved minorities and women to the head of the line. <laughs> well, that's enough, right? But if you look at it, the tweet, and then look at the responses, and look at the fact that he does, in fact, respond. And he responds with sympathy to some. Some people say, I'm self-employed, they won't let, I don't, or I don't, for some reason they won't give me because they said this, and he's, he, he's sympathetic. He said, I know, that makes no sense, blah, blah, blah. But I just want to say, this action uh, takes Mark Cuban from my list of people I yuck, don't like, for no reason in particular, just because we all do that with people that are put there in front of us on television, radio, and, you know, we have immediate reactions. I love them. I hate them. Usually you can't come up with much to explain why, just gut stuff. So I just, I just want to say he's moved into my good guy uh, category with this. Very impressed. All righty. And to your emails in regard to my rant about the absurdity of a stock market, Father Joseph says, the other pernicious influence of the stock market is the corporate commitment to stockholders. You betcha. Thank you for this. Companies will hold back information about unsafe products, manufacturing locations, and so on, based on pleasing their stockholders. Well, actually, you know, they will, they, they are quite unapologetic. The system is that they are there for their stockholders. Their stockholders put money into their business. And so they run the business not 
not for anybody but the stockholders. And it's to make sure those stockholders see their money, usually substantial already, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions, grow. Because you know if you have millions and millions and millions and millions, it is not enough. The whole capitalist system is based on pleasing the already rich and making them richer. I'm sorry. Back to uh, Father Joseph. He says, plutocrats often believe they will never have enough. A great book on this is Plutocrats. <laughs> plutocrats, the rise of the new global super rich and the fall of everyone else. Great, great subtitle. And it's by uh, somebody called Christia Friedland. And uh, Father Joseph goes on to say, Freeland interviews scores of plutocrats, and I think you'll find their opinion of never having enough to feel secure fascinating. It is. There's a psychology. I mean, it's psychologists you have to talk to about this, not economists. It's why capitalism, I guess, has become the preeminent um, economic system. It gets human psychology better than communism or socialism, at least in this country, because we Americans are totally brainwashed to think only of ourselves, the individual, we, the almighty individual, and our needs and our freedoms and our wants, and screw the rest. And I think it's a psychological thing. Uh, socialism has a optimistic view of human nature, probably misguided, that people would be willing to maybe do with a little less so that everybody could have enough. Capitalism would say to that, are you kidding me? <laughs> Capitalism is grounded on human greed and self-interest. And generally speaking, it is one, right? Back to Father Joseph. Father Joseph, you always do this to me. I go off on tangents. Father Joseph says, we live in a survival of the fittest economy. That's capitalism. When I attended well-known private, a well-known private university in Dallas, I overheard two business majors discuss their prospects for an affluent future. One student crowed. During my job interview, I was asked if I were an animal, what type would I want to be? And I answered, a shark, because I want to be at the top of the food chain. They loved my answer. Father Joseph says too many in our economy have that mentality. Well, because they grew up in our economy, they were taught that that is the, yeah. I mean, the idea is simply to acquire and acquire and acquire and get richer and richer and richer. And if you ask somebody who's in that race, and so many Americans are, if you ask them why, stop for a minute, why, they don't have an answer. Or their answers don't hold water. 
well, I want, uh, I want to be secure. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and just how insecure a personality are you that like a few million dollars doesn't make you secure? Uh, I don't know. People amaze me. Little Tony says of the governor, if I was to guess, I'd say it was KDKA-TV, a reporter there who asked the governor the question. I don't know. It'd be a Pittsburgh reporter, probably, yeah. But I don't know for sure. It's why I don't bother watching local news anymore. Local news is all clickbait, and it's very depressing. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, what is it? And... um Jonathan writes, just a reminder that Mark Cuban was a big supporter of Hillary and anti-Trump. As a matter of fact, that uh, Hillary rally that I went to at the convention center uh, uh, had Mark Cuban in it. Um, I think that's the only time I've seen him in person. He was there all dressed up in a t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> yeah, Mark Cuban was at the Hillary uh, rally. We have got a number of callers, so I guess I got to let them in, okay? Hello. Hello, man. Hi. Show me the money. Yeah, yeah, the money. I think uh, Ben's haircut's the most covered haircut since a guy named Samson. Or since, wait a minute, remember who's the one? Was it Clinton? Or no, it was Edwards. Remember who got a hit when he was running for, uh, somebody got a haircut on an airplane that cost like $300 and all hell broke loose. I can't remember. Oh, there have been some haircut big stories. But yeah, Samson probably is the, the, right, the right one. Anyway. Sorry. Um, do you ever peruse uh, YouTube? Only when people send me stuff. Well, I was looking through there the other day. Excuse me. <laughs> I was looking through there the other day, and there's a couple of programs where people go out and they interview these uh, Trump supporters, uh -huh. and they ask them some pretty point and pointed questions, and these people then you got to see them to believe them. I mean, you talk about morons. Uh, like this one lady, she goes, she was asking about, um, you know, news. It's all fake news. The only thing I watch is Fox News. That's all I watch. All the rest is fake news. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, so all you're getting, all your information is from this, um, you know, arm of Trump, and if you get all your news from Fox, you're a moron. Well, I think it's actually been proven where, um, <laughs> where people who get their news from Fox and people who get their news from, you know, newspapers and people who get their news from CNN have been given the same, uh, you know, test of actual factual stuff, right? And it is true that People who watch Fox News are much less informed of what's really going on. But, you know, again, I'm going to drop back to the psychologists 
this has to do not necessarily with people's, it has to do with people's need to somehow believe that, I don't know, someone has the answer or that they didn't make a mistake by, uh, you know, electing this guy that he promised this and he's going, I don't know. It's, it has to do with human psychology more than with human intelligence. Although I would argue that intelligence uh, plays some role, uh, but it's not like all the people who support him are morons. I mean, not technically. They might be yeah. moral morons uh, because some are just greedy people who like what he's doing in terms of you know deregulation and 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 taxes so they can get richer and richer and richer they 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 abhor his incivility and his personality but damn they're making money another you know what i mean was, yeah another one was uh, this person asked one of the trumpers you know he was like well he's a great businessman <laughs> he, he's made so she said well what about him inheriting like 446 million from his dad and he's gone bankrupt six times oh that doesn't yeah. matter no that he, doesn't he, matter yeah he's a failed businessman he is I mean, it, it, it's amazing that you could take this totally imperfect vessel and imbue him through marketing and bombast with, you know, I don't know, with, with, again, like fake news, with just a bunch of false information, and people will buy it. You know, I, I heard someone say, and it's true, Donald Trump is a poor man's view of what a rich man is. And it's, you know, I don't know. I I've known one person. Go ahead. No, no, you go. I heard one person say, you know, he had he was into the wine business, failed, <laughs> bankrupt, the meat the business, state bankrupt. Yep. Trump. The uh, higher education business, bankrupt, fraud, yeah, fraud. Um, yeah, the fraud. yeah, you name it, airline. casinos, yeah, yeah, airline bankrupt, everything he touches, and now the nation, and look at us. All right, you're depressing. You're depressing me. Wait a minute. This person said, if he can't sell booze to the American people and meat and gambling, (laughs) he's not my guy. That's right. Well, there. Okay. Should I leave you with with a joke before we go? Yeah, it better be good. Well, I always try. I know you do. Uh, This guy's wife wakes up. Four o'clock in the morning, husband's not around. So she goes downstairs, and there he is sitting in the kitchen with a cup of coffee with a tear running down his face. Well, what's the matter, honey? He says, you remember when we first started dating? Oh, yes, yes. You remember when your father caught us making love in the back of the car? Yes. And you remember when he put the gun to my head and said, if you don't marry my daughter, I'll see you go to jail for 30 years? Yes. But why are you so upset? Today's the day I would have gotten out. Yeah. <laughs>
Enjoy your weekend there, Lynn. <laughs> oh, my. I think there's another caller if they're still there. Hello. Hey, Lynn. It's Mike in D.C. Mike. So I'm so far away from being that rich or even rich, never to have to worry about money again, but to continue to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But something happened at, at the grocery store the other day, or both two times it happened. I was at Costco. I walked in. They had toilet paper right there in the front, 24 <laughs> or 48 rolls. I have eight at home. Eight is plenty for me. And I had to talk myself out of not buying that toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Right? Because my mm-hmm. instinct said, get that toilet paper. And I was right. like, no, no, you do not need the toilet paper. You have eight rolls at home. Eight is fine. And then I went to um, Home Depot for something and there was a line and just standing outside and just standing in the line as people were picking up plants that I would, that I thought I might want, I was feeling robbed somehow. And I said, nope, I'm not going to do this to myself. I get in my car and I went home and I went back later that night. And I think that's the feeling that rich people feel is like if they don't get all of something, they're going to not have it or have enough or be without somehow. So that every time someone gets something and it isn't them, they feel right poorer like there's, somehow. There's, they, there's yeah. a theory of piece of uh, yeah. There's a theory of pie, P-I-E, mm-hmm. where there's only one pie, and if you get a slice, that's right. one slice less I get. Right. But I don't look at the world that way. I look at the world as a muscle. The more we use the muscle, the more there is. Uh-huh. But That's even in my poverty, even in my current circumstance, I still was felt that feeling of I'm missing out. I'm missing out. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to. And uh-huh. I just had to leave because I couldn't put up with that feeling. But I, I do. I think that's what rich people probably feel. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it, it, Obviously, there's the fact that they feel that way so often tells you they're not happy, that the money's not making them happy. The money's making them anxious. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And their solution is more money. More. And what right. does more money bring you is just more right. anxiety. It's because like then an you're addiction. You know what? It's an addiction. It becomes an yeah. addiction. Right. I think I've ta- I told this story, but I was once turned down for a raise at WTAE TV. Um, I asked the general manager at the time, I said, Hey, come on. I mean, I got, and he said, Lynn, you know, here's what I've learned from living. If I give you, you're feeling like you need more money now, but if I give you a raise, let's say I give you a hundred dollars a week more, you know what? Your cost of living is going to immediately go up so that you're going to feel like you need a raise again. And he said, I'm just going to keep you from getting into that silliness. <laughs> he didn't give me the raise. Isn't he nice? Isn't he nice? But he was right in that. It is true. When you get more, you everything sort of goes up a notch. You spend more, you, and you end up thinking, geez, I need more money. I mean, I think that's often the case, but you're right. He was, uh, yeah, he was, that, that's a, it. 
Yeah, mansplain it. And in his defense, too, there there are studies that show that a raise only makes you happy for three weeks or something. And then after that, you're back to the same, this company sucks. Yes, right. Um, That's so. true, too. <laughs> <laughs> so money is That's not true, too. Yeah. Well, we're back to human psychology, I'll tell you. Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. And we have another caller, I believe. Hello? Oh, hi, Lynn. Uh, this is Ed in downtown. Hi, Am Ed in downtown. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Yeah, your comments earlier reminded me I was watching on a comment of a man an American that has a business in France, and he said the difference over there is everybody feels like they're working for the common good, whereas it's the opposite over here. And he said he just thinks this response to the pandemic is chaotic when he looks back at what we're doing here in mm-hmm. this country. Because we're not, you know what, we have no, uh, our generation, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, maybe since World War Two. I'm not aware that this country has ever been called on to work together, to see ourselves as one, and that each individual's actions have an impact on the whole. And, And that is an ethic and a value that, frankly, is not American. That's right. And you see in certain states, people were protesting, even in here, the states protesting, going, trying, putting other people at risk to protest so they can get a haircut and stuff. It's amazing. It is just amazing. Hey, thank you. You're downtown. Is anyone else downtown? Yeah, it actually gets quite crowded. I'm walking in Central Park. There's a lot of people walking around there. I live, I live near the point and I take a walk every day at the point, weather permitting, and there's always people there. Well, that's in that nice. Area. Yeah. That's nice. Well, thank you so much for your call. Good to hear from you. Good. Have a good day. I really enjoy your show all the time. Thank, thank you so much. It's like, it's like therapy. Okay. <laughs> Starting the day off right. Yeah. Back to psychology. Okay. Yeah. Right. Keep I'm it calling up, my therapist. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm actually calling my therapist Bye. after the show. Okay. So, um... Keith writes, worse than the shock and awe clickbait media are the lemmings in the population who can't be bothered to read beyond a headline. I'm on a University of Pittsburgh sports Facebook page, and they were all up in arms yesterday due, due to Wolf allegedly saying, there will be no sports until we have a vaccine. I went and read the story, and sure enough, all he said was the quote you'd mentioned that little Timmy Benz is losing his mind over. Oh, for God's sake. Well... Uh, so let me see here. Uh, Ed writes regarding the conversation with Mike from DC, aren't people at the poor end also making poor judgments about not allowing others to have health care or whatever because they would then be getting something that the poor might not be getting. The problem is people. Well, this is how it seems to me the rich, well, it's human nature again, right? So some people who are themselves poor, well, I'm going to, I hate to racialize this, but I think it might be the truth. I read a very interesting piece 
about the fact that one of the reasons that America cannot tolerate the idea of any kind of sort of social safety net or welfare state and looks at all of that 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 like European governments think of well isn't that what government's for <laughs> wait a minute what do you Americans think government is government is for protecting us like that keeping people from hitting a bottom uh, from being hungry from being homeless from being sick isn't that what government is for? But see, in our heads, it's not. What do we think government is for? When we hear keeping us safe, we think that means build another bomb. We've really had a job done on us. And I think that one of the ways that the Republicans especially have kept Americans from wanting to provide themselves with the kind of government security that other nations assume is the purpose of government, is that it will go to black people or to uh, brown immigrant kind of people or to those people. And you see, if there's one thing that a lot of poor white people don't apparently want. It's letting a poor black person get a leg up. And they'll themselves destroy their own safety net, a safety net that would also be there for them to deprive black people from possibly getting a toehold themselves. And I'm not able to buttress this with facts, figures, and everything, but the article I read was so, so persuasive that at the heart of this nation's inability to see government as a force for social good is our racism. And I'll just leave that there. Um, I have another caller, I believe. Hello. Hi. Okay. I'm not going to tell you a stupid, horrific mouse story. I'm sorry. I offended you yesterday. Don't you dare. <laughs> it's disgusting. It was, it was awful. Don't even uh, go there. It is the most disgusting story I ever heard. It can't be true. No, it just can't. it's oh. just disgusting. Well, anyway, this is a guy that who can't every- kill a mouse. Okay, I just okay, who tortures mice? <laughs> it just wouldn't die. I don't know. Why, Jesus? Excuse me, Father. I, Father Joseph, I'm sorry, but I, I'm a Jew, and I, I, I know it's blas it's blasphemy for you, but not for me. But it's not nice. I can't help it. Go ahead. Oh. So, yeah. Anyway, everything you're talking about, like you know, you know, not not getting poor people stuff because they're in need. You, it's just a form of envy. It's all it is. They're getting something I can't get. It's not fair. It's it's what it is. It's it's you know, Americans, especially that part of the spectrum of our American society, who who 
who uphold so-called Christian values and all that shit, they are the worst offenders of the seven deadly sins. You t- I got a list right for it. Lust, mm-hmm. gluttony, greed, sloth, mm-hmm. wrath, mm-hmm. envy, pride. Oh, you guys, those guys are the worst. And, 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 and I am so envious of those poor people, damn it. And it makes me mad. And I want more. Okay, run those by me again, because I have to tell you, I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of a, a most of those, too, I think. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, I, but, I, I am, too, but, but the thing is, this is their, like, values. And their yes, values. oh, yeah, so, yeah, right. Okay. They flunk Number Sunday one. school, though. Nah, they don't oh. know. No, they just don't practice what they what they preach. You know, they they wear an armband and say I'm a Christian, or they wave a flag and say I'm a great American. No, it's just a, it's just a stupid yeah, piece of cloth yeah. you hang up in your yard, and it's a, a stupid cross you wear around your neck. If you yeah. don't mean it, shut the okay. Anyway, number I'll one just, is lust. Okay, I felt lust. it. Mm-hmm. Gluttony. Oh yeah, that's a biggie for me. Yeah. Greed. Yeah, it's not a biggie for me, but yeah, probably. Sloth? Oh yes, I am slothful. I am. I'm finding that out big time in uh, during this, you know, period. And right, right now, you and I are doing this right now. Wrath. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, I well, obviously you've heard it. Yes, wrath. What else? Uh, envy. Oh sure, it's, it's human. Envy. Yeah. Um. Okay. Pride. What is it? Pride. Well, pride, sure. Pride. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I don't necessarily. Do you know what I want to just say this about pride? Do you know I want to say this about pride? The funniest thing has happened. Um, when people are feeling proud, they've taken to saying, "Let's say you give somebody an award." And what they're feeling is proud, pride, proud, pride. And they invariably now say, I am so humbled. (laughs) Don't they? I mean, no, everybody who's really feeling pride is always saying, I am so humbled by this honor. No, you're not. You're proud No, no, it's true, but it would be prideful to say I'm proud, and so you say you're humbled, but you're proud, and you have every reason to be proud maybe sometimes if you've gotten this thing, this recognition, but it just doesn't seem right to voice that, so you commit another sin of lying by saying I'm humbled. Every time you see somebody say, I'm humbled by this, I I now automatically in my head, I replace humbled with proud. But can pride mean two different things? I mean, you know, like, like, um, it's, it's not like this, this is it. It's set in concrete. I mean, pride can mean you, maybe you, you, you're, you're feel good about what you did. You knew you worked hard, but you can feel humble at the same time. Like, I know all these other people who are trying to do the same thing probably work just as hard as me, and I happen to get lucky. And and and, and I don't think you, you, it's one versus the other. I I think you can be damn prideful and be 
an arrogant ass about it, but you can be you can be proud of an accomplishment and then feel humbled by it too. I mean, when you're especially like when you're dealing with competition, you know, like um, and I'm, and 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 but also to what you just said, I think some people are full of shit when they say I'm proud but I'm humble. I mean, but pride can mean two different things. I mean, I think if you if if you have pride, it can mean a but yeah, you're absolutely right. It can also mean a bunch of lions. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, true. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to derail it. I'm going to the. When you're saying lions, I'm thinking li- I'm thinking you know liar. I'm sorry. Right. I'm so <laughs> No, I threw you a curve there. Hey, Roger. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Um. There's. There's one, uh, God. Um, speaking of, uh, of like the stock market, and you know, somebody says, oh, a vaccine is going to be coming every, that's what made the stock market apparently go nuts, uh, yesterday. And, uh, man, I read this in the New York Times today, and I actually felt something I don't feel very often a rise in my breast. And it was, uh, hope. Because it says right here, the coronavirus itself has turned out to be clumsy prey. And I'm thinking, what? That is the first sentence I have read since this whole damn thing began that suggested that the coronavirus wasn't the smartest, stealthiest, scariest, um, not gonna be defeated. I mean, really? Who? Who? I, have you heard anyone like diss the coronavirus before? Jeez! Right there, it's the New York Times. It says the coronavirus itself has turned out to be clumsy prey because it's a stable pathogen unlikely to mutate significantly and thus dodge a vaccine. And then they actually have a quote from a virologist who says, it's an easier target than we thought, which is terrific news. I'm just passing that on to you because I had not to think of the coronavirus as a clumsy thing. I swear, made me feel better than I have felt in three months. It might be nonsense, but they called it clumsy, and a scientist agreed. I have another caller. Something tells me the show's going over today. Um, caller, go ahead, please. Oh, hi. This is Marion Murraysville. Hi, Marion Murraysville. I just wanted to talk about the PPP loans for a minute. Um, okay. Just, I work at a CPA firm, and we've been trying to assist people in getting their, their money. And the local banks, I don't know for whatever reason, we haven't been successful there. But there's a company in California called Blue Vine that is their like mission statement is to help small businesses. And we got our loan through them, so I would recommend trying them. If well, how nice of you to put that out there. Blue Vine, two words. Blue Vine, yes. And then we had another woman who was also turned down. Um, she runs like a spa. And she got her loan, of all places, through PayPal, because she had a PayPal account. For, are you kidding? No, no, no. no. So, 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is two pieces of very interesting news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very thank- be helpful. Well, it's very helpful. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. 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 Um, I also want to, you know, back to this vaccine because now they got people saying, well, you know, uh, the White House has Operation Warp Speed, which is, uh, you know, supposed to get us a vaccine by uh, the first of the year. Um, Now, you know, it's possible, but it's never been done before. But, I mean, you got over 100 different uh, research teams all over the world working on this. I mean, you've never had such a global, concentrated effort of fine minds and greedy capitalists going after something all together at once. And so maybe, who knows? Um, So our great president said that... uh, the whole idea of warp speed was we're going to have a vaccine prior to the end of the year. And he put a general in charge. He went over to the Defense Department and he said, you guys are going to manage the manufacturing logistics because even if we get a vaccine, that means we then got to manufacture <laughs> hundreds of millions of doses in a place that doesn't exist with equipment that doesn't exist, and I don't know how do we do that. So he dropped all that into the lap of a guy named General Gustav Perna. And he's the general is in charge of manufacturing logistics. And it's a quote from General, uh, well, it's, not, it's a paraphrase of General Perna's that is my next favorite quote of the day. General, poor General Perna <laughs> described his work as a, a math problem. It goes like this. Here's the problem. How do I get 300 million doses of a vaccine that doesn't yet exist to all Americans by January? <laughs> How would you like to have that job? Geez, uh, thank you, Mr. President. I really appreciate uh, this job. Now, while that's going on, um, a world gathering of health leaders, probably absent any Americans, because that's the way we work these days, um, there was a proposal from the EU that was adopted. And that proposal recommends uh, that pressure be put on companies who might become, who come up with vaccines to give up their monopolies on them. In other words, to see this as a global health pandemic, which it is, but not as a Oh, man, are we going to be rich. You can see where that wouldn't go over too well in the U.S. Also, Oxfam, which is, I'm sure you know it, a charity, uh, published an open letter that was signed on to by 140 world leaders and experts 
and it calls for a, quote, people's vaccine, end quote, which would be made available for all people in all countries free of charge. Of course, that's what should happen. But uh, this is America. And so the guy we have, the president has put in charge of leading our effort to find this vaccine, is a multi-gazillionaire venture capitalist scientist, former executive at GlaxoSmithKline, on the board of Moderna, that is the biotech company that has now said they've pretty much got a, a, they think they got a vaccine. This is what caused the stock market to go sky high. So a guy who sits on the board of that company is plucked by our White House to head the, and, and I tell you, ethics experts are, are going berserk. Uh, this guy, his name is uh, Slaoui, I don't know. He, uh, he accepted the position only if he would come on board not as a government employee. There's a reason for that. Because instead, he is just on a contract. He isn't asking for any money because, you know, come on. Because if all this works as it's supposed to work, he's going to have a hundred gazillion dollars more. So he says, just give me a dollar for my service. And because he's not taking any pay, and because he's not technically a government employee, he is exempt from federal disclosure rules that require him to list his outside positions, his stock holdings, and other potential conflicts. Meanwhile, of course, his immediate supposed overseer supervisor, Alex Azar, who is the Health and Human Services Secretary, he too is a former pharmaceutical executive, he with Eli uh, Lilly. So, in this, we, we, well, you have Oxfam and the EU saying, hey, when we get a vaccine, God help us, please let's, uh, we need to make it, you know, not so that it's just a way for one company to get richer than holy hell, but it is instead looked at as, you know, manna from heaven and given free to all the peoples of the world. Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington said of this guy's uh, heading up the White House coronavirus effort, uh, vaccine effort, says, I mean, this is basically absurd. It allows for no public scrutiny of his conflicts of interest whatsoever. Right. Well, right, because that's how they do stuff. You figure out how there can be no oversight whatsoever, and that's the way we're going to do it. Another uh, big story today, and it, it sure is a sobering one, um, is a front-page story in the New York Times today that it's, well, you know, here again, it cannot be proven but uh, the reality is is that because Trump did not act faster, seeing what was happening in 
China, seeing what was happening in Italy. No lockdown called for here. No social distancing called for here. Um, researchers who their expertise is modeling. They, they're disease modelers. Uh, and we obviously we're aware of these people now because they keep modeling what the future holds for us. If we continue to socially, you know, here's how many people are going to probably, and here's what the, well, these guys, rather than going forward, went back to look at our response and what that meant. And I got to tell you, the f- one week, the fact that if we had just done it one week earlier, 36,000 people would be alive who are not. If we had done it two weeks earlier, 54,000 people would be alive who are not. And they say if we had limited social contact on March 1st, as much as 83% of the deaths we have suffered would have been avoided. And I have to tell you that March 1st, we weren't even in any way even possibly thinking about that. If you look at what Trump was saying on March 9th, he was saying, nothing shut down, life and the economy could go on. There, 25,000 people dead. Sobering stuff. We have some callers. Caller, go ahead. Hello? Hi. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Real quick, uh, I think warp speed and vaccine, those two don't go together. Uh, I No, thank you. I don't want to be the one to first get the bats. Uh, I like, I'll, I'll hide out for a while before I get a vaccine because those things take time and trial and error. You have to do it right. You can't speed it along just because you want to make a buck on it. So I hope to get a vaccine, but please do it right. We don't want to cause any more problems. We've already got a mess now. I hear you. And I, like you, will not be the first standing in line. No. <laughs> okay. Our track record's not too good. If you no. No. That, so. I agree with you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. bye. Yeah, I mean, this rush couldn't, and a lot of people are saying that even with um, the all the the reason that the stock market went kaplooey yesterday, not kaplooey, kaplooey up, is because of you know the promises made from this Moderna uh, company um, when they are on a fast track that has never been done before. I mean, you can't. God knows. I mean, if we were to have a vaccine by uh, the first, it would be extraordinarily historic because vaccines can take decades, decades. But that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. But in order to have a safe vaccine that has been vetted, 
that has gone through all the proper testing, it's going to have to take beyond January 1 because you can't do all the studies that you need to do. Uh, I know we want it. And another reality that most of us don't want to spend too much time thinking about is that it could well be we are not going to find a vaccine for this. Even if we find out now that the coronavirus is clumsy. My favorite, favorite, favorite quote. Wow. Well, I think that might be it uh, for today. Although, nah, we'll leave it. Um, I, I thank you very much. I enjoyed the show today. A lot of uh, input from you. Those are the best shows. And I've appreciated all callers, all emailers, um, most appreciated. And um, Monday is Memorial Day. I hope we mark it in a sober way and uh, thinking of the sacrifice of those uh, who have fought and died for this country and fought and died for values and for a democracy that is under siege now by its current uh, political leadership and it has never, to my mind, been in such grievous, clear and present danger from its own government. I think it's... uh, to honor all of those on Memorial Day is to take back our country in November with a tsunami. Okay? The sun's shining. I don't mean to like uh, freak you out because it's Pittsburgh. The sun is shining. I've been looking at it through my window here and I'm going to say goodbye and tiptoe out. Um, and bask in it a bit. And I also want to uh, tell you, uh, it'll be a long four days, but I look forward to talking to you on Tuesday. Okay? Be well. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.